Hello, everybody. I am Michael Nixon. Welcome to the My Way Podcast, Interview 3. Each week, we sit down with an inspiring and driven person and try to dive deep into their life's journey what's led them to where they are now. Today, we're talking with Hollywood's number one script consultant, Dara Marks. Okay, so Dara, we're going to go ahead and get started. And I always start all my, all my interviews by playing a word association game. Okay. So I'm going to say word, and I need you to say the first word or statement that comes to mind. Alrighty. <laughs> it's fun, I promise. All right. Thrill. Life. Safety. Avoid. Performance. The best I can. Accomplishment. The best I can. Superiority. And take your time. <laughs> I don't. Uh, to, to do the best you can. Truth. Always. Likeable. It's okay. Rules. Helpful but confining. Perfection. Avoid. Story. It's all there is. All right, good job. You made it through that section. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now before we get going into the, I guess you could say the tougher questions, we have some more quote-unquote easy questions, kind of fun. These are either-or questions. So just kind of play along with me. All right. Hamburger or hot dog? Hamburger. 1960s or 1920s? 60s. Cat or dog? Dog. Faye Dunaway or Jane Fonda? Jane Fonda. George Bush Jr. or Ronald Reagan? Ronald Reagan. Chocolate or vanilla? chocolate all right where were you born i was born in newark new jersey if you had to describe your childhood in one word what word would you use happy uh why'd you choose that word i had a great childhood <laughs> i really <laughs> did i know no i know many people don't but i i did had a good childhood yeah. so if i went back in time and i said dara uh you will be a script consultant and a published author how would, uh, let's say, 16-year-old Dara have reacted to that? I mean, my, my entire career came as a surprise to me. So Dara, she would have been just as surprised. <laughs> so how did you envision your future at that time? Oh, I really wanted to be an actress. I, uh, definitely, I was in all the school plays, and, and that's what I was aiming at. So in your book, you have a quote. When mm-hmm. problems of great magnitude arise, our own personal character is tested and often strengthened or diminished by the encounter. I know this to be true because it's how my own character has been, has been formed. Yes. So going back to your teen years, now I'm mm-hmm. kind of going out on a limb on this. I found right. one little mention. Was sure. there an incident involving a bad car accident? Oh, yes. Yeah. No, I was in a very bad car accident when I was 19 years old, and I was very critically burned. What was the situation behind that? Was... How did it happen? Well, I I was, um, let's see, I was 19, and uh, a friend and I were going to, we lived in, I lived in Sacramento, California, and we were going to the ocean uh, to go camping, and um, uh, so I was with, I was with my friend and uh, two other, two other guys, and uh, 
I don't remember. The reason I'm being a little vague is I don't remember it well. I was in a coma for a while, but apparently the our car stalled on a bridge just as I think just as we were entering a bridge area, and um, everyone was going around us, and someone missed seeing that we were stalled and hit the back of the car, and the car flipped over. Now the reason I say it was on a, just at the entry to the bridge area is that nobody else really got much of a scratch on them, but I was knocked unconscious on impact and I was trapped in the car and I was very fortunate because a guy driving by uh, worked, this is way before cell phones, and yeah. so a guy driving by uh, had uh, had a phone in his car, you know, like a, a he was he worked for the forestry service so he had some kind of phone in his car mm-hmm. and he called for help and he also had a fire extinguisher so he got me out of the car apparently just before the car exploded wow yeah so it was pretty serious did that have anything to do with ending your dreams of being an actress oh sure yeah no i mean my face i had i had facial burns and uh my hands ha- have been burned a bit and you know just it was very obvious that i had been burned so yeah i had I immediately once once I went through the whole recovery process, I was definitely on to plan B at that point. How long did it take you to recover from that? Uh, well, the actual re- physical, you know, getting back my life again was at least a year. I was in and out of the hospital. And I really, I was just, uh, it's funny because I tell this story often uh, when I do speak about this, that mm-hmm. uh, the doctors apparently took my parents aside and said, well, if she recovers, because there, there was a question if I was even going to survive. And they said, if she recovers, you can probably expend, ex, you know, uh, plan on her spending the rest of her life in her room. <laughs> and I always joke that I never got that memo. <laughs> and within a year, even though, you know, I, I still hadn't I hadn't had much reconstructive surgery at that point. Uh, I was just too eager to get on with my life, so I started back to college. My father had to go with me at that point because my hands had been uh, pretty badly injured, and he had to take notes for me because they were still under reconstruction. But I, I, I got right back in it. I, I was not about to be slowed down. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm quoting the Independent.com, and in their article about you, they say Dara Marks is something of an authority on suffering and the transformation it allows. And also on your own website, uh, a quote from Treva Silverman, who I love, by the way. Mm-hmm. She says, how painful but exhilarating a journey she must have had to write this. Do you mm. consider yourself an authority on suffering? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, I, that, that was a joke because, frankly, I, you know, suffering is not an exclusive thing that many of us encounter all kinds of, not many, all of us encounter uh pain, disappointment, disillusionment, loss, you know, that that's part of every human life. And that's what a lot of my work has to do with is is helping people to see that it is simply a part of life and that it, it can either be a place where life gets stuck or it can actually be a place where life is opened, you know. Mm-hmm. You you and and those are some of the the interior choices that we have to make. It, and 
it, it, you know, I obviously, because of what I have been through, it has guided part of my life, but it also has made me observer an observer of, of, you know, the things that other people have to go through as well. And that the point that I make is that, uh, you know, I tell writers, if you want to know how, char- how character is created, look at how your own character has been created, that the, the difficulties you have faced in life have had the potential to either make or break you. And that, it, you know, as we traverse uh, our experiences over time, I mean, think we don't recover instantly. You know, these, yeah. these, are, our, these are, are, are the arcs of our personal story. But the person you meet on the other side of an experience is someone greater than who you were when you first encountered it, if you have traversed it. If you get stuck in it, then, then you know, life begins to diminish and it begins to, you know, it, it have a destructive quality to it. Yeah. So what other events have helped form uh, your character? Oh, you know, just like anyone else going through um, uh, relationships, the, the ones that failed, but also the ones that have succeeded. I, I, have, I feel a very good marriage. But, uh, you know, there, there, there's always trials involved. And each time you encounter a trial of that sort, um, it, it, it can be very easy to walk away. Now, sometimes, it, sometimes the actual trial itself demands walking away. But other times it really demands staying in it and, and seeing what you, you know, you experience as, as you move through and as you process that. So, uh, relationships, uh, like, like everyone else, I had certain careers and, and my career didn't work out one way. It worked out another, you know, and here I am doing something I had never, never anticipated. But I've, I've often thought, you know, like, um, this is something you do see with age. There are certain places in life where you reach a, a, you know, a certain pinnacle where you can stand back and sort of look at the terrain of your life. And it's, it, it's full of twists and turns that are so yes. unexpected because, uh, it, you know, it's something that can feel like a failure to you when you get to a level, let's say, where a relationship beautifully connected or, a, you know, a career move beautifully connected, it's often over the corpses of, <laughs> of other things that, that didn't work the way that you thought they were. And, you know, for me, I, I think if my life, if if all my hopes and dreams is, had and wishes had come true in my life, I've often felt how poor they would be compared to what I actually got, you know, because yeah. it's full of so much more. Yeah. I like the word corpses you used. (laughs) (laughs) So what drew you to writing in the first place? Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, it's not what you would expect. I I was one of those students in school that would do anything I could to avoid a, a writing assignment primarily because I didn't know how, and it wasn't taught well. I mean, I didn't, you know, I'm putting all of this together in, in hindsight, Yes. but, um, I, you know, I was involved. I remember when I was in high school, I was very involved with like, we had a rally club and I would put together all the skits for rally. So clearly I was already doing some of that. Uh, but it, when it came to formal, formal writing, uh, it just, it, it eluded me. So as I, you know, got into my twenties and I realized that I really did want a writing career, I had to teach myself how to do it because I didn't know. And uh, so that that is 
part of I, I, I you know I've often thought that if I had had formal training in writing uh, some of the new theories that I have come up with, I may not have because I would have just just accepted standard theory. But uh, because I was in the trenches trying trying to really figure this out, new and unexpected things arose. Mm-hmm. So correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but it was in the late 1980s that you began to meet with writers as a script consultant, right? Probably, yeah. I would say mid to late 80s. That's was probably correct. So how did you settle on, I don't, really, I don't want to use the word settle, but why mm-hmm. did you decide to be a script consultant? Well, again, I mean that—that's why my career has been so unexpected. It, it settled is a fine word. I—I I had not thought of it in those terms, you know, when I was a- approaching the consulting profession. I—I uh, I was very fortunate early in my career at, in the mid '80s to meet a woman named Linda Seeger, who, at that point script consulting or even story analysis for film in particular was sort of just beginning to find its way in in the world. Up until that point, a lot of the theories around it came out of playwriting and other literary forms. And Linda Seeger and Sid Fields were some of the first sort of pioneers to begin to identify story elements that were particular to uh, screenplay writing, and I mean, it, 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 it's still a literary form, so it still conforms to a lot of traditional ideas on writing, but then there were some other things that were particular to to screenwriting, so uh, I met Linda, and uh, she became a mentor to me for many years, and she trained me to do this, so while I was doing struggling with my own writing career, I was doing this on the side to to uh, to make an income. And I just felt, I actually just fell in love with it. I find, I found it to be extremely challenging. And as I said, because the theories were all just evolving, you know, I was part of the group that we were evolving the theories. And that to me was what was so creatively interesting. And that just kept pulling me in that direction. So what was the popular story structure at the time? Does it really differ from today? Well, yes and no. I mean, a a lot of contemporary story structure is based on the traditional, basically the traditional view of Aristotle, that, you know, story has a beginning, middle, and an end, and there's a certain template. And while I... I agree totally that you can see that template. I mean, it's it's archetypal. It's an archetypal principle that story, the nature of story is that it's conflict to conflict resolution. And within that scope, conflict to resolution has a beginning, middle, and end. There's a problem. The problem grows <laughs> and the problem is resolved. I mean, it, it's pretty, pretty basic. Where my work began to to sort of split off from that is the is when I began to put a lot more emphasis on the inner story to say that story actually mimics the, the, the that we relate to story at the deepest level because it it uh, it mimics our, our own life experience which again is right out of Aristotle but a step past that is that our real life experience tells us that we actually um, relate to life on two levels, not just the one, not just the one where there's an, a problem in the outer physical world, but that um, at any given moment, we operate in two worlds simultaneously. The external world where life exists as tangibly as we know it, bringing in 
problems and all of that sort of stuff. And an interior world where at every given moment we are processing what is going on in the outer world. So that when you're telling what I call a true story, you, you are, the story is operating on both levels at all times. So each of those levels have their own unique structure and those two structures completely interrelate. And you stepped away from doing script consultation for a while, didn't you, to go get your Ph.D.? Well, just just a bit. I, I I still relied on it a bit for income, but I really devoted a few years to getting my doctorate degree in mythological studies and completed my dissertation and completed my book in that period of time. So I was on the lighter side of doing busy. Things. Yeah. And it was also, but it was during that time when you started refining the transformational arc, wasn't it? Well, it, two two levels on that. A, a lot, I a lot of the work I had already done on the transformational arc. I, had, I, I it really the arc itself and and my work with it hadn't changed that much during the time that that I went back to graduate school. But it was certainly enhanced. In other words, there were so many things in the arc that I had intuited, but that what my studies gave me was the ability to see. You know that that when you when this work is it really is in the archetypal plane, so that any time you're there, you're going to see your own work echoed in from many different places, and that's what I experienced, which was really thrilling to me to see that things that I had intuited were right right there in plain sight for everybody to see, and to to bring in those resources was really extremely extremely powerful. So explain to me, you know, let's say somebody who is listening doesn't have any idea about story or story structure. Sure. But what is the transformational arc? Well, I, I'll pick up where I was just talking a moment ago about story, uh, that that uh, story exists on two levels, that the outer physical world and the inner world. And so if you look at your own life, that uh, the the that life is something that simply demands growth and change that this is why you're no longer 2 years old <laughs> that at, every, <laughs> at, at every you know at every stage there are challenges that that keep inviting you to continue to grow to grow up so that the arc is is expre- is is an expression of that that you find located in story where we see what the problem the problem that is existing in the outer physical world is coming at a time in the character's life where there is a demand for this growth and change so i refer to this as the fatal flaw of character that and and the basic definition of the fatal flaw is that it is a survival system that has outlived its usefulness okay. so and that so therefore it is not a criticism of a character it is and it is a natural thing that Again, this is why you're not, you know, 10 and or, you know, operating anymore as you, you know, there is a time in your life where uh, adolescence, for example, is essential in terms of certain kinds of growth. And then that pattern drops away so that you take on more responsibility for not just responsibility in the traditional sense, like, uh, you know, go do your homework kind of responsibility, but responsibility to yourself yes. to be as authentic as you can be. And so at every stage in life, it, there, is, there are moments in our life where 
things that happen in the outer world demand interchange. So, for example, an example would be helpful here, I think. If, uh, let's say that uh, um, someone is going through a, di- a, a divorce. Okay. Well, that's not a good thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's a lot of hopes, dreams, and desires that are dashed. But for whatever reason, let's say the, the husband cheated on the wife and, and something is, is destroyed here. Well, amidst destruction in our life is also the potential for the next new level of life. So while that is a difficult challenge someone goes through, uh, it can also open up for the character in the story, hence the character in our, in our own lives, um, a new way of seeing one's independence, a new way of seeing one's self-value. That you know, all of these kind of things are also the sort of the 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 gems of life that that you know lay among the ruins, and um, this is how we we keep growing. So the arc of character is something that, when it's embedded in a story, it shows us how a character grows and changes within the context of the conflict that's unfolding. So the conflict that's unfolding is the plot in the outer world. And the transformation of character is the challenge in the inner world. Okay, that's interesting. So, but now you're also working on something called Engaging the Feminine Heroic, which, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but that incorporates some uh, mythology into that? Well, yes. The, the, the work I'm doing with the Feminine Heroic is, um, you know, to, to just take it at surface value, it sounds like I'm dealing something with a woman's issue, and it's really not. <laughs> The feminine heroic deals with the feminine side of our nature and the feminine side of our, the masculine side of our nature. So this is, this is neither male nor female because uh, we, we, we can, t- we have it. Well, or it's both male and female. We, we, we have this within us, the masculine and, and the feminine sides of us. So the masculine side of our nature is the part of us that is involved in the external world, to facing the challenges in the external world, to go out into the world and be all that you can be. The feminine realm is the interior realm that takes us into our internal emotional depths. So you can see the, the work that I'm doing with this is to show that we need a balance of both, that it is not exclusively Either masculine or, or feminine, but that uh, um, the challenges in the outer world, if, if we just externalize life, then everything is only about winning and losing. There is nothing else that, that, that matters. The feminine realm allows us to mediate that and to allow us to, to go out and try and do our best and to allow life to continue to move forward whether we get everything we want or not. Okay. Now, this is I'm curious to get your opinion on this, but for me personally, I feel we allow female characters a wider swath of emotional expression than male characters. And I think that's why I think female characters are more interesting to watch. Do you find female characters more interesting than male characters, or do you really have a preference? Well, you know, I I would sort of challenge that assertion, only because (laughs) I think a lot of films these days, if you look at the... I think I'd like to see actually more interesting female characters. I think that uh, a lot of the masculine male characters in our stories are really, you can see that they are suffering because their life is so externalized. And so you get films that rep that show us 
how their lives are out of balance for this, that, that they'll say they've spent their whole life being a cop. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't have a family. They don't, you know, or at least they have their, or they they have one. It's a bad family, you know. Things are falling apart, um, and they don't know how to relate. They they drink too much. They're too excessive in all of these these physical things because they don't know how to be in touch. So that they're emotional. They're they're emotionally stuck, which is to me very interesting. Um, so. That's happening a lot now. Where I where I would agree with you completely is that there are too many movies that are being made today that only operate in the external realm, so that we uh, we have her- heroic masculine or f- male or female characters who uh, who s- basically can do by the end of the story what they were fully capable of doing at the beginning. You know, they, yes, they go yeah. and they take names, they kick butts and, you know, and that's about it. And there's no way that they, they, they have no, they have no relationship with the inner realm. I consider these not just, just shallow stories, but I consider them to be rather dangerous stories. And it's, and, and it, it's kind of like eating a whole lot of junk food, uh, you know, a little bit of it, who cares? And some of them are a lot of fun, and there's a lot of action to them. But at the end of the day, I feel that story stories are much more than just an entertainment venue. That they really help inform us of who who we are in this world and how how to process life. So if we have a diet that is completely overdosing in characters who are only operating in the external realm then we're getting no information about how to operate our own internal realms. And, um, it, it, you know, this is not just true for action films. It has to do, do, do with love stories, with everything else. Okay. So if you get love stories that are only about the cutest, the best, and the brightest, getting the guy or getting the gal, there's no information about love. There's no information about the rest of us. And, and therefore, it leaves us with the sensation that, uh, you know, love is for other than us because – we may not be the cutest, the best, and the brightest. Um, and the same thing with heroism, where you see all these action figures who don't have any internal issues to process as they are facing their external challenges, which is just, you know, is is patently untrue. That we, everything that we encounter in life impacts us. And we're not seeing, we're not seeing that reality played out in our stories. So do you think films from the 30s, 40s, any other time besides today, or I guess the 1980s, did they do a better job focusing on the internal, the story aspect? Or do you think that's always been a problem? Well, you know, it, it, it's, I always get a little nervous about being nostalgic. <laughs> we, tend, we tend to only remember the good stuff, you You're know, right. and there was also, you know, a lot of junk in there. But I would say probably one difference between today and a, and a while back is there may have been at that point a bit more respect for the creative process and the artistry of it so that um, there may have been stronger attempts to at least have something to say because now too many too many of our films are just getting processed as quick as they can to get out on the market to produce a product rather than to produce something of substance. So in your book, you have some things to say about the word uh, likable. Yeah. <laughs> That's why when you asked me that word earlier, I kind of... That's the reason why it was in there. I kind of choked on that one. You call it a fleshing virus. 
You say from your perception as a story analyst, it may be the single most destructive force in all of modern cinema. So don't hold back on me. But when I say the word likable, (laughs) when I say the word likable. Here's here is my concern, you know, um, because of the way I feel that there's there's not a great process going on in um, filmmaking today in terms of of working with writers to sort of flesh out a story and, and help the story becomes everything it wants to be. Oftentimes, therefore, stories, uh, the, the process is relegated to what the what people think the audience is going to like. Mm-hmm. And so there's this thing about, well, the character isn't likable enough. And, you know, likable, likable, likable can be an important quality for a character if the story is about that. And I think the example I use in my book is... Um, uh, what's the Jimmy Stewart film um, about Christmas uh, or, or it comes out at Christmas? It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Thank you. You know, his character was likable because that's what that was. That was the, that was the central problem of the story, that he was doing everything for everybody else and not taking care of his own needs. So in that case, likable was the essential quality because it fit the story. But likable for the sake of being likable is not what makes a character interesting or even essential. And so sometimes a character needs to have some some serious rough edges in order to have something to transform to. I mean, this is one thing I talk to writers about. You can't you can't have a character transform in a story if there isn't something from which they need to transform. So that the, what I replace the word likable with is to care about a character. And that becomes a very different way of looking at it. We can care about someone who has rough edges. We can see that their problem in life, the, re- the reason they're too gruff or they're too, uh, um, you know, uh, hard on someone yeah. or something is because they don't know how to get to their own emotional center and the story is trying to take them there. So you'll, you'll go along with that character. So... I'm not, I don't want to use the word good, but I'm going yeah. to because I can't think of any other word at the moment. Sure. But is being a script consultant uh, a good creative outlet for you? Is it a creative? Oh, absolutely. For me, yes. Right now, I love it. I mean, for example, uh, if I'm given a, when I'm given a script to work on for a client, um, each script to me is like a fingerprint. No matter how many, I've worked on so many scripts, but each one is completely unique and brings a whole unique uh, set of circumstances. So when I, I, um, I actually have a process that, are, that I put a, a script through, and from it I'm able to create a chart. The chart for me becomes like an x-ray into the script and allows me then to go in and read what is actually happening from a technical perspective, but also from a creative perspective. So that when I work with the writer, um, it's it's very exciting to me and challenging to to make the discoveries of what the story is really about. Okay, okay, that's interesting. I just for some reason that never even occurred to me mm. that aspect. Um, so, how important is a writer's real life experience in relation to the quality of their work? Like, is a writer who's had a harder life a quote unquote better writer than a writer who hasn't had a hard life? See, I, I, I would say right from the start, no one has had an easy life. Relatively speaking, some lives may appear easier than others, but you know, everyone has their their diff, different different set of challenges. The one thing that I believe absolutely is that all story, all 
100% of story is autobiographical because the only story we know how to tell is our own. That we, it may be about characters from another planet. It can be about something else outside of us. But it's filtered through what we know to be true and how we see the world. So when you are, when a writer is studying technique, what you're really studying is access to your own inner realms so that you are able to to open this up and, and take a serious look at it. So how big of a role does a professional passion play in your life? Well, you know, it's interesting, that, that word passion, I like that, because, you know, there's a big thing today, a lot of screenwriting um, events and stuff feature pitching, and a lot of people are learning to, to pitch a story and so on. And I always say, if you really want to make a pitch for your story, pitch your passion. And when, you know, when you are trying to just understand the outline of your story or trying to understand what your story is about, it, the, the passion really defines sort of the center point of, of why, why you have been called to write that story. Because I believe every story, I don't care if it's two pages long, I believe every story is a calling. And the call comes from your own inner realm. It can't come from anywhere else. So there is something in that story that is trying to speak to you and through you. And to me, that's the purpose of art, you know, to create, to make new to, to create new new life that's never existed in this form before. And the first person that experience is for, the first and foremost person is yourself. Yes. So there is another interesting line in your book, and I'll, I'll stop reading new lines from your book. I apologize. <laughs> it's, <okay. laughs> it's like every other question. Yeah. So you say, we all know people whose spirit died long before anyone threw dirt on their coffin. And mm-hmm. I'm just curious, who were you thinking of when you wrote that line? It wasn't a particular person, but this tied in with the notion of the fatal flaw of character, that uh, the the fatal flaw and this whole notion of the arc is saying that every single life is constantly challenged, whether it's fair or not. You know, somebody can be the most lovely human being in the world and their husband or wife is killed in a terrible car accident. And it is absolutely unfair by any any measure yeah. in the world. It's unfair. However, if life gets stuck there, it destroys life. It destroys anything else that that can come next. If over time, and I have to stress this, over time, because this is not a race, but if over time that loss is processed, life then moves forward and becomes more, okay? And and this is simply true of all all the life experiences that we have. So uh, that's what I meant by this: that people who cease to process anything more in life ultimately end up in in a state of non non evolving, non life making. You know, and uh, um, so it, you know, if you look around you, most of us do know do know people in our life who got very stuck at a level of this wasn't fair. This was too hard. Um, yeah, any any of those, and who can argue? Those are those are legitimate things. Yeah. It's just legitimate or not. Life does move forward. Are you moving with it? So I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. But how important is it to you to continue to learn and grow in your life? 
Well, yeah, you do know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I don't think there's anything else. I, I don't think there's anything else that, that uh, uh, the time that we spend here on Earth is, is a challenge constantly to to grow. And what we are growing toward is ever more into our own authentic nature. And, um, you know, we could be authentic as a child, but there is more to us than that. So, so that, that's what I mean by it's kind of just a constant unwrapping of more and more and more of who we are and what we have to offer ourselves into the world and to life. And, um, you know, those are the challenges. Now, I want to make something very clear here, sure. though, because I am not in any of this philosophy or theory putting forth the notion that if if you are living a good, authentic life and, you know, difficult things happen to you, you, you know, you just get up and you brush yourself off and say, well, so what? Move yeah. on to the next thing. That is absolutely non, not true. I keep putting emphasis on that it takes time. These wounds take time, whatever time they need to heal. And it can even feel like you get very stuck for a while and it can feel very regressive, you know, that uh, life isn't moving forward and I am hurt and I'm, you know, I'm tied up with anger and rage and all of this. That That's fine. That's That may be an essential passage that you're going through. But, you know, over time, is is something in there moving moving, e- even even angrily? Is it moving or is it simply... Uh, you know, a, a a place where we're stuck. So I just want to make that very clear. Yes. The arc isn't putting any time limit on this. Okay. So, but you think you've been successful in your own personal life at continuing to move forward? Uh, I, I'm I'm very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when when I say that, you know, I have to qualify it. Happy doesn't mean that every day is is like oh joy, you yeah. know. But but um, you know, I I love I. I love the challenges in my life and I love um, uh, working with people and, you know, um, my relationships and all, you know, they're all, all remain at the level of challenge. So challenge, you put that with happiness. And I think that that, that definitely is a good formula. What do you hope for your future? Well, I, you know, if you were doing word association, I would just say more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am uh, continuing to do more work with not just on writing, but on creativity in general. And again, creativity, not and not specifically to artists, but to all of us, that if we look at creativity as the next new thing that is trying to, is, you know, find its way into our consciousness and into the world, that um, there are a lot of processes that, uh, um, we can use, and uh, you mentioned mythology, which is my my background, my my doctorate's in yeah. mythological studies. My fascination with this is is the archetypal patterns that show us that um, I you know like to say in my work that we're all the same except in the detail, and that we are all part of this exquisite patterning that is constantly offering us you know, these challenges. So that's part of the work that I'm trying to to get to. And I'm in my new book that I'm writing right now. And to show that um, uh, once once you can see this as part of of something greater than yourself, 
it, it doesn't take away the pain, the hurt, all the loss, and, or, or those sort of things, but it can give you a perspective that um, uh, allows you to, to remain both, you, you, you can experience the hurt, you can experience the pain of it, and you can uh, also, um, uh, I, I don't like the word hope, it's a little too cliche, yeah. but it, it offers you the ability to, to see that you are more, you are more than that. And that within, within those problems, uh, that, you know, some, something very powerful is happening there. I will add one more thing here cause I think sure. it's very critical. Um, one of the things we have lost contact with in our culture is the idea of initiation that um, in, initiation simply means moving into levels of more and more consciousness of yourself and of, of your relationship to others and to the world. And that initiation doesn't occur because you just think about it. Well, it would be nice if there was more, or, <laughs> or I'm going to study this, or I'm going to. That could be a part of it. But, you know, initiations are undoings, they are, they are times when we hit big. Uh, you know, big events in our life that create an undoing, and so these initiate the, these these undoings um, can be also seen as as a challenge, uh, as an initiation to to as I said, these levels of greater consciousness. And um, you know, to me, that's where uh, that and artistry is are very is very tied together. Because it is learning how to communicate to the world that that there is more, there is more to me, and yeah. there is more to life. Good point. So I'm going to turn all morbid on you for just one second. <laughs> but if you died tomorrow, yes, what would you hope your legacy would be? I, you know, I really am excited about the work that I do with scripts and. Um, I want to pass on that as my legacy, um, not just with scripts, but with story, because I feel that we as a culture are very trapped in a story that is so self-limiting. And so anything that I can do to help um, to help us understand um, uh, the narrative of our lives and to to um, uh, embrace our lives in a stronger way, see ourselves individually and collectively as part of something greater. Um, any little piece of that that I can contribute, that makes me very excited and happy about the life I'm living. So I have just one more question for you, and I'm, I'm actually very interested to see how you respond to this one. Oh. It's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a silly question. All um, right. If you had to pick one film, TV series, or novel that would best describe your life and your journey, what would it be? Oh, boy. That's interesting. Take your time on this one. Yeah. I'm just trying to... I I can't say, like, if I had a tremendous amount of time to think about it, that I might have landed on the same story, but this is the one that came into my mind when you said that. um, The film... um, uh, the Piano okay. by Jane Campion. Uh, it's an Australian film um, from a, a, while, a little while back. You know, that film is really about claim, the, the, the claiming and the discovery of one's voice in this world and how 
how you know we we have to fight for it that you know the the it can be our gift but it also is not just handed to us and um the the the, the script real the film really touched me on a very very emotional level to to see you know really how powerful that struggle is and the struggle goes on i mean it's not just a one shot deal where where ding you're done so um it's very touched by that film well, thank you so much, dear, for sitting down and talking with me. But before you go, I just want you to tell the listeners where's the best place to find you. Oh, very easy. Just at daramarks.com and um, all the connector pieces come out of there. So you can email me or any, any way you need to get a hold of me. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Right, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the My Way Podcast. You can find out more information about Dara Marks by visiting daramarks.com. This podcast was edited by Aaron Dowd, and this podcast talent coordinator is Amber Robin. I'm Michael Nix. Thanks for listening.